0: Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. I'm glad you all got the memo about the new time for class, our first first time at 7 p.m. And uh, some people might join us later. We'll see. Maybe people will come online later. Maybe you'll you'll keep an eye out for that, Jeff, around 7, 15, 20, 25. Um, Well, welcome. Anybody here for the first time tonight? First time at ATS? Welcome, welcome. Welcome back to everyone else. I like to start class by uh, giving you a topic to discuss with each other in service of Against the Stream being a place to connect, a place to meet other meditators, to develop what in Buddhism we call Sangha, the, the third refuge, and the refuge of uh, like-minded people to support, to be supported by, to connect with. Um, it's a central aspect of the Buddhist teaching that all of the Uh, teachings of Buddhism are meant to be communal. Uh, Maybe the whole vision of Buddhism is is community-based. And it's about how we communicate and how we connect and how we show up in our relationships. And so much of the emphasis is on how do we relate to our own minds. And we're going to meditate and talk about how we relate to our own pain and joy and sorrow. Um, But how do we bring that into our lives, into real-time relationships? So tonight I'm going to I'm going to talk a, a lot about suffering the first noble truth dukkha the buddha's the buddhist term uh, that we translate as suffering is dukkha and um, and I'm going to talk about uh, and we're going to meditate we're going to do a tibetan meditation tonight called tonglen which is breathing in the suffering and breathing out compassion developing an attitude of friendliness and care and uh, warmth and and um, Mercy, compassion towards pain—our pain and each other's pain and the the pain, you know, the suffering in the world. Um, I was thinking about uh, you know that that how fake we all are. Uh, I was just thinking about how fake we all are, and um, how there's that tendency, like when somebody asks you, uh, "How's it going?" and what's your what's your go-to? Good, fine. Uh, and I was wondering, like, what if we reframe that and said, like, uh, you know, to, you don't want to say this to everyone, like, you know, at the gas station, but, you know, to the people that you actually care about, uh, of actually asking each other, what are you suffering about today? And even, you know, to define this word suffering, because we're not always suffering all of the time, there, you know, sometimes we're not, but probably if you look at your mind, you can find something you're suffering about all the time, <laughs> most of the time, if you look for it. And dukkha, we translate it as suffering. It's the first noble truth. It's this universal truth that we're all experiencing at least some of the time. It's part of the human condition. And if you think about it as suffering, it sounds so extreme. And you figure, you know, maybe you feel like, well, a lot of the time I'm not suffering. I'm pretty happy. Um, but if you define it actually, and one of the ways that it's translated is uh, as an imbalance or any experience of stress. So if you just look at your mind and be like, is there any stress going on? Uh, So anytime your mind is worrying, that's dukkha. Worrying is dukkha. Fear is dukkha. Craving, you know, craving for something that you aren't experiencing right now. Clinging. It's all suffering. It's all dukkha. Some of it's really low-level dukkha. You're fine and you can walk around. You know, you're like a, uh, you know, you're a functional sufferer. (laughs) And it's all very manageable and, uh, people don't look at you and be like, oh, she's a fucking mess. they look at you and think like, oh, you know, you know, he seems fine. They seem fine. Um, but we all have that level of stress, that level of, but my mind is creating dissatisfaction. Another way to think of dukkha, dissatisfaction. So that kind of looking at your mind and am I completely satisfied with everything the way it is? Or am I experiencing almost all of the time some level of dissatisfaction? If I look for it, I can be like, oh, yeah, there's a lot that I would change. (laughs) If I could control this world, if I could control my mind, I would really remodel. I would totally, you know, I could fix this place right up. And I could fix my mind right up and remove a whole bunch of unpleasant thorns that uh, I experience every day. All of this craving and aversion and doubt and worry and fear and anger and, you know sadness and all of these afflictive emotions like let's just dukkha all of that is dukkha I don't you know so our practice tonight is going to be turning towards it and I'll talk more about it but introducing yourselves into some people hopefully that you don't know yet for the people on zoom I throw you into these random uh breakout rooms and sometimes you probably have seen the people before sometimes it's new people but if you're here in the room a lot of you know each other but Part of this exercise is trying to connect with new people and practice mindful speaking and mindful listening and, and, and working with that dukkha of like, I don't want to fucking talk to strangers. Uh, you know th- This sounds weird and uncomfortable. So much of what we're doing in Buddhism is learning to be uncomfortable, learning to walk through that, learning to turn towards that. And, and this question of like, what are you suffering about? And you, know, you don't tell us all of it because you only have like one minute. So you just get to pick one thing and be like, well, I'm, I'm suffering about finances, worried about money, uh, you know, uh, or I'm, you know, suffering my relationship. I'm stressed in my relationship or or work is really I'm suffering about work or, you know, we can all pick something. I don't think there's any enlightened beings with us tonight. Those have no suffering. There is zero. I can't even, you know, I can't find anything to complain about. Easy. isn't it so easy to complain just effortless let me i got a whole list of shit that is not right um, so that's your topic what are you suffering about and you have one minute each or so minute and a half so if you're in the breakout rooms or if you're in the room practice that mindfulness of i don't want to take up too much time don't be that person that's still talking five minutes later when I ring the bell and you realize, oh, my people didn't even get to say anything in my group because I'm such a narcissist. I talked to the whole time. Don't be that person. Be conscious, take a minute or so and then pass it on to the next person in your group. Apologies to all the narcissists that I offended. Okay, I'm opening. So go ahead, find people in the room. What are you suffering about? So as most of you already understand, uh, the core teachings of the Buddha are the four noble truths. The first truth is dukkha, the, the truth, the existence, the reality. Uh, that there's quite a bit of suffering that is a, a given when we take birth. Part of existence is that um, there's going to be all this stress and all of these afflictive emotions. and Uh, sickness, and old age, and death, and that we will um, experience a lot of loss. We'll be separate, you know, a lot, the big loss is like the grief, but also just the the truth of impermanence, which means everything is constantly uh, being lost. There's a sense of uh, everyday, ordinary grief of loss, because everything's impermanent, and so that experience of um, losing what we want to keep which is dukkha, which is suffering, which is we don't want to lose. We don't want it to be impermanent, but it is impermanent, whatever it is. Uh, And then that other side of the coin, which is all of the experiences that we don't want to have that we're faced with. The pain that we experience, the uh, difficulties, the conflicts, the, the criticism, whatever it is, our own mind's criticism that we're faced with, so all of the things that we want to keep that we don't get, want to keep, the things that we don't want to experience that we inevitably experience, these are all uh, part of the Buddha's explanation of the first truth, the truth of suffering, the dukkha, the stress, the difficulty of existence. Now, the good news on some level, the way that I hear it, uh, and the, the one, things that I love about Buddhism is that it's starting by normalizing our experience um that's you know suffering is normal unhappiness is normal stress is normal it's not is not you know the the second noble truth um is that the suffering that we experience as humans is for the most part self-created that it's but that the self whatever we call the self the mind creates it all by itself so again not your fault you're born into a mind and body and incarnation and experience where there's going to be all these suffering and you're going to be creating almost all of it based on how you relate to the painful experiences and the pleasant experiences and the truth of impermanence but it's not like you're doing that on purpose or it's some uh failure on our part. It's just we're born into a system that is attached to pleasure, is aversive to pain, is totally self-centered, takes all of our thoughts to be who we are. So the second noble truth, which points out the cause of suffering is the natural, impersonal, repetitive craving of the human condition. Make sense? Natural, repetitive, impersonal, cycle of repetitive craving. And the fact that craving is repetitive is the problem. If you just had a craving once in a while, no big deal. But we're born into this system that's constantly craving pleasure and aversive to pain. Clinging is part of our survival instinct. So we're born into this instinctual heart and mind that craves pleasure, but pleasure is impermanent. And so we're constantly looking for the next. I want something that feels better, feels more pleasant, feels... The third truth is it's possible through deep meditative experience, training the mind to transform our relationship so radically to pain that we learn to meet it with compassion rather than hatred and aversion and taking it all so personal. That we have this radical, we have the ability to to change our relationship to pleasure where we begin to meet it with non-attachment, understanding the impermanent nature of things, no longer clinging to, to pleasure. And as we turn towards our mind, we start to see how impersonal the mind, the self, the ego, this whole human experience, which is uh, not as personal as we've been taking it, just the human condition. And there's not really a solid separate ego entity here to be found when you start unpacking what's happening here. So this third noble truth is it's possible to have compassion, non-attachment, and not take things personal to the level where you no longer suffer nirvana happiness freedom the end of suffering possible in this lifetime through our own actions through our training of our minds through our meditative and then you know renunciation ethical behavior karmic purification we can get free this is the buddha's teaching the path to freedom is the eightfold path understanding reality as it is, realigning our intentions with that which are going to take us in the direction of freedom, practicing renunciation about how we communicate, how we behave, and our relationship to work and money, right speech, right action, right livelihood, and the core uh, meditative disciplines, putting the effort, sixth factor, into uh, mindfulness and concentration practices. Uh, So... Tonight, the meditation that we're going to do, technically, it would be the eighth factor, a concentration meditation, but really it's a first noble truth meditation. Meditating on dukkha with the intention, second factor of the Eightfold Path, to bring compassion rather than aversion. We're in this whole process of trying to rewire our habitual reactive tendencies. The habit is, it's painful, I hate it go away, fuck you, I'll kill you, I'll medicate you, I'll avoid you, I'll suppress you, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do something to not feel this unpleasantness. I'll pick up my phone, I'll turn on the television, I'll smoke something, I'll drink something, I'll eat something, I'll, eat something, I'll shoot something. I'll do something to not feel this pain, this unpleasantness and to create a pleasant experience in its place. This is one of the reasons why the Buddha's teachings are so radical, because what he's guiding us to, what Buddhism is guiding us to, is in order to get free from suffering, we have to stop avoiding our pain. Not a very good sales pitch. You want to stop suffering? Stop avoiding your pain. Learn to turn towards your pain. Learn to change your relationship to your pain. Quit pretending, you know, quit being so fake and being like, I'm good, I'm fine. Start getting honest and vulnerable and uh, with the truth that like, I'm, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of difficulties in being alive, being in relationships, being someone who has to, you know, walk through this world. And even if you don't have a lot of external difficulties, just having a mind sucks. Admit it it fucking sucks to have a brain it compares it judges it criticizes it feels entitled it feels unworthy it gets you know ex- inflated deflated just the human condition uh, when we start to get honest with each other is dukkha to have this mind that's so self-centered and so afraid and so uh confused about the source of happiness, thinking that if I can just have the next pleasure, I'll be happy. If I can just avoid this pain, I'll be happy. Not really understanding the impermanent nature of all things. So this meditation. um, So usually, some of you are regulars, and we primarily, we practice mindfulness. Mindfulness will lead to compassion, because in mindfulness, we sit here, present time awareness. We turn towards what's happening, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. The more we turn towards that, the more we start to develop ta- ability to sit here and be uncomfortable. Yes. You know, the, one of the first things if you become serious about meditation that you'll learn is that it's actually okay to be uncomfortable. I'm not, I was, you know, when I started meditating, I didn't know that I was I constantly felt discomfort meant I had to do something about it. Meditation taught me it's okay to actually just sit here and be uncomfortable. I don't have to do anything. I can just breathe with my pain, with the discomfort, with the physical, emotional, and mental pain of existence. So primarily we practice mindfulness. The last month and a half or so I've been doing the heart practices, loving kindness, compassion, forgiveness, Uh, equanimity appreciation I want to kind of finish that series tonight with the Tonglen meditation again it's it's another compassion practice we already did a we did a different compassion practice a, a few weeks ago but this is another compassion practice and it's not Theravadan Buddhism which is my main inspiration the lineage that I'm most connected with from Thailand Burma Sri Lanka this is a Tibetan practice that they developed probably hundreds of years after the Buddha. And they heard, um, okay, this first noble truth. It's about changing our relationship to pain. This second foundation of mindfulness. It's about identifying what's pleasant, what's unpleasant, what's neutral. And and so much of the solution to experience nirvana is developing compassion. So at some point, and maybe it was in India and then brought to tibet or maybe the tibetans created it themselves i'm not sure actually but it's a tibetan buddhist practice and it's called tonglen which translates as um, receiving and giving so receiving the pain breathing in the pain and giving compassion breathing in uh, the dukkha the suffering acknowledging the first noble truth and breathing out compassion And it can be a little bit intense. I was thinking about this earlier. I was like, oh, should I do a trigger warning? But here's the thing. There's all of this sort of trigger warning stuff happening all over. Um, Nobody, you know, like, let's not feel uncomfortable. In Buddhism, the whole solution is getting triggered. If you want to get free from your triggers, you have to turn towards them. Now, we don't have to do this in some sort of macho or, or, or um, you know, you can do it gently. And I encourage you to do it gently. Uh, there's been a new trend the last few years of trauma-informed meditation. Go, go into it gently. And I'm all for it. But I'm also a very concerned about people using this sort of like, well, it triggers me, so I'm going to avoid it forever. If you avoid it forever, you'll never get free. So, part of what we're doing in meditation is hopefully in a gentle way, letting ourselves be triggered, letting ourselves feel our pain, feel our trauma, feel what's in here to be felt as we try to breathe compassion towards it, as we try to change our relationship from, I hate my pain, to, I care about my pain. It's my pain. I live with it. It's my mind. I live with it. It's my memory. It keeps reminding me about how much pain I've experienced in my life. I need to learn how to live with it and to have compassion for it. So this is such a great practice for that shift that we're looking for. Rather than just sitting around mindful of our breath, waiting for the painful memories, in Tonglen, we're actually inviting them. We're saying, okay, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to think about my pain. I'm going to think about my sorrow. I'm going to think about some of the traumatic experiences that my mind loves to resent, loves to remind me about, that trigger me. I'm going to sit here in an intentional way and hopefully in a safe community of people who are all doing this work together and say, I'm going to try to develop more compassion towards the pain in my life. And the pain in each other's lives, you know, so there's the personal aspect of this, breathing in our pain, breathing out compassion towards ourselves, and then doing it with each other, breathing in each other's pain, and breathing out compassion towards each other here in the Sangha, and then expanding it to the suffering in the world. All of you know, there's so much suffering, 10,000 forms of suffering happening in this moment. There's also 10,000 forms of joy, but we're not talking about joy tonight. We're talking about suffering, my favorite topic. We did suffering a couple, we did joy a couple weeks ago. We're done with that shit. We're back to the good shit, back to the suffering and the compassion for suffering. So I'll give meditation instructions find a way to sit that's upright, that's relaxed. And, you know, trust yourself. You know, um, if you get too overwhelmed with your pain, come back to your breath. You know, if you're getting really in the story, come back to your body sitting here in meditation. Um, There's an invitation to allow it to come to the surface. Meet it with as much compassion as you can at this time in your life, at this time in your meditation practice. When you're ready, establish a posture that is upright, relaxed, come into stillness. Allow your eyes to close
1: and settle, settle your posture,
0: release any unnecessary tension your body's holding, soften your belly, your shoulders, your jaw. We begin reflecting on the first noble truth, our experience of stress. What what do you stress about? Our experience of suffering about loss, losing, things we want to keep, experiences. No longer here,
1: relationships. The experience of aging, sickness, death. Loss and sorrow, grief.
0: All of the unpleasant, painful experiences we have, uh, thoughts that are painful, emotions,
1: sensations.
0: Trying to really let yourself feel some suffering, maybe sadness, sorrow, grief.
1: The loneliness, the insecurity, the fear.
0: And begin breathing it in To your heart center, imagine you could breathe in right through your sternum, breathing it into the heart center, breathing in the suffering of our lives. And as you breathe out, breathing out compassion. Breathing in sadness, loneliness, fear, insecurity, whatever it is for you, worrying, resentments. Breathe it into the heart center and breathe out the intention to meet our pain with compassion. And experiment with this visualization. Imagine as you breathe in the suffering of your own life, that it's like a hot, dense smoke. And that as you breathe out the intention of compassion, the heart has purified it, and we breathe it out as a clear, light, refreshing
1: Breathing in hot, heavy, dark cloud of suffering.
0: Breathing out the cool, soothing, refreshing breath of compassion. And you don't have to control the breath to do this. Let the body breathe its own natural rhythm. But as the breath comes in, perhaps even just saying the word suffering on the in-breath, compassion on the out-breath. The reason that this is technically a concentration meditation is because we're choosing to focus the attention on the suffering and the compassion. When the mind wanders, come back. Return to this chosen practice of breathing into the heart center, the hot, heavy truth
1: of suffering. And breathe out the
0: light, cool, breath of compassion intention to be merciful to be friendly compassion doesn't get rid of the pain but there's a soothing balm to compassion it takes away the resistance
1: an extra layer It's safe to feel your own pain. It's actually necessary. It's also
0: okay if not much is coming up. Just do it as a practice, breathing in, saying suffering on the in-breath, breathing out, compassion, care, friendliness towards pain.
1: Breathing in the
0: unpleasant emotions that your mind experiences, that your heart feels, name them. Breathe out compassion towards these afflictive emotions, these difficult mind states. Breathing in and out of the heart, reflecting on the physical pain, illnesses, injuries, the aging of this body that we're in, the suffering of having a body, how often it gets uncomfortable. Breathe in
1: the discomfort. Breathing compassion into your arms and legs, head and face and trunk.
0: Now beginning to expand to the people that you were talking to in the small groups. People here in the sangha, in the room or on Zoom. Just as I experience suffering and want to learn to meet it with compassion, I also want to acknowledge your suffering and meet your suffering with compassion. beginning to extend the practice to breathe in the suffering of whatever kind it is, the people sitting next to us, the people from our small groups. And breathe out compassion. And I learn to feel your pain, to care about it. I made it with friendliness, with mercy. Continue expanding this tongue, giving, receiving of compassion. So you include everyone here. There's 70 people online, 30 or so people in the room, 100 people. Breathe in all of their compassion, all of their suffering, all of us together. Breathing out compassion to each other. All of us breathing out compassion to each other. The hot, heavy, dark cloud of suffering, emotional, physical, mental, the pain of existence.
1: Breathing out compassion, cool, soothing. Like you just took a shot of schnapps, some peppermint, like you smoked a cool, refreshing,
0: Then begin expanding beyond the Sangha to your loved ones, friends, and family. The suffering of our children, of our parents, siblings, our partners,
1: the homies. Breathing compassion towards each other,
0: retraining the heart, the mind to meet pain with friendliness, with understanding,
1: with care. Expanding outward and widening circles to the east and west and north and south. Above, below, all directions. Across the states, across the continents, across the seas.
0: Till we Imagine, visualize the whole planet, all living beings, the eight billion humans, the numberless animals,
1: insects, fish, birds, all, all living beings from the smallest to the largest those nearby, those far away. The hot, thick, suffering of existence.
0: Exhaling the cool, soothing breath, learning to care about each other, learning to care about all living beings.
1: Compassion in all directions with each exhale. Letting go of this
0: expanded version of all living beings and just come back here to yourself, this living being, this mind, this body. Remembering that the more we develop wisdom and compassion within ourselves, the more benefit we're able to be, the more of a positive change we're able to help create on this planet. Our practice not selfish, but generous.
1: From the inside out.
0: the last few minutes let go of the tongue len breathing in and out with compassion and just re- rest again in mindfulness present time awareness what's your mind up to let it settle as much
1: as it can feel the breath feel the body Just as it is.
2: Mm, 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 mm,
0: Any questions about this technique or how to uh, work with a technique like this, where you're intentionally turning towards breathing in, breathing out? If you have a question at home, you can raise your hand in the um, reactions button. There's a hand raise button and I'll call on you. Any questions in the room about this practice? Does it make sense? Could you get a sense of, um, could you feel some pain as you breathe? Does the visualization, not everybody, the visualization doesn't work for everybody. Some people don't have the kind of mind that can see the hot, heavy smoke and kind of create that visual. But for some, it's quite useful. It's part of the traditional Tibetan instruction to visualize it like that. Tibetans have lots of visualizations. Mostly in our Theravadan practice, we don't do a lot of visualizations. We're just working with what is. This is one of the practices that I've really benefited from and like to introduce people to. James, go ahead.
1: Uh, yeah, I um, seem to be
3: stuck in like an opposite effect. I, much easier for me to like breathe in compassion and breathe out. Uh, the heat and the the debris (laughs) and so i've been trying to reverse the flow and got a little bit of it tonight but it's still very difficult yeah
0: do you have any sense of why
3: uh that is um i don't know what what flows through my mind while i'm doing it is that there's a bunch of like stuff inside that uh sort of like if i'm breathing in compassion it feels like it breaks it up a little and yeah and sort of let that energy out yeah
0: yeah um i i have some sense could you hear the comment i have some sense that you know it's another like against the stream counter you know i feel like the stream is like no i want to breathe out the suffering Normal because it's it's more of that sort of uh, and I don't think this is exactly what James is saying, but it's that natural, like, I don't want to, I want to breathe out the suffering. I want to breathe in compassion. That feels good. I want to breathe that in. Um, suffering go, <laughs> get out. Um, so I feel like it's pretty counter instinctual to flip it and breathe in our pain. And uh, there's even, I've, Asked often when I teach this, of like, well, isn't this like kind of dangerous? Like you're breathing you know, like you're manifesting pain in yourself, or you're breathing in, you're gonna give yourself cancer. Don't do that shit. (laughs) And it's like, no, that's absolutely not how it works. Because we're not breathing in anything that's not already here. Really, just acknowledging what's here. We're just turning towards and saying, like, there's this pain in my life. Let me let myself feel it, because that's the solution. That's how I get change my relationship to it and breathing out the compassion uh, is the wise response, learning to, to meet it in that way. Um, And I like what you're asking James about, because like it seems counter and you've been doing this practice for some time. Um, So I I don't, I don't know. It might be fine to do the other way. It might be fine to be like, I'm going to breathe in the compassion and breathe out the suffering, probably work in a similar way. This is the traditional way it's done. And I think partially because breathing uh, in the compassion, breathing out the suffering can have a subtle uh, aversion to it. That's a little bit like, I talk a lot about letting go. But you ever notice like when sometimes you're telling yourself, oh, I should, I'm attached and I should let go, that there's like a subtle aversion, like let it go away, rather than let it be. Let you know. Let the reality be what it is. The pain, instead of you know, go away. Let me learn to be with my pain. Let me learn to breathe into it. Um, so, I like that you're persevering with it, and we'll see how it changes over the months and years of your practice. Uh, and I, you know, have been doing this practice for decades, and it's totally safe. It hasn't given me any. Um, you know, diseases, and I, I don't think it's created any more suffering in my life. Uh, it's really helped me learn to turn towards my pain and meet it in a more wise way. Where it's, you know, usually I want to turn away from my pain, and so much of what Buddhism and this practice in particular has taught me is breathe into it, breathe out, and let it go, breathe it out, let it be. There's a, um, I'll come to your question in a moment, Michelle, but there's a story that. I heard, I don't know if I read it or heard it. I think I read it somewhere. And it was about like one of these young um, Tibetan reincarnated lamas. So I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Tibetan Buddhist system, but, and I'm not a Tibetan Buddhist, but anyways, I'm on a a Tibetan kick tonight. Um, So they believe that like when they're teachers, uh, that they can identify their reincarnation. So, you know, say I die And you say, well, let's go find Noah's reincarnation because we need to keep the against the stream lineage going. And so then you go find some four year old and you're like, yep, that's Noah. (laughs) And then you train him to be a teacher and you make him the kind of like, you got to run the fucking meditation center, dude. Like (laughs) you're Noah. Probably not the best example, but you, you know what I'm saying? So there's this young, and he's a teenager when I'm reading this, and he's the reincarnation of some high Lama, and he's been raised as, you know, you're this reincarnation. And, and they make him start teaching as a teenager. And, you know, people are going to him and being like, you know, like you, you've heard of the Dalai Lama, right? Like you're going to the Dalai Lama, even though he's a 14-year-old kid, and being like, please give me some teachings. Like, you know, give me some blessings. Give me some, share the Dharma with me. And the kid's just like, Fuck, I don't know. I'm just trying to learn this shit myself. Uh, and so this kid, uh, he's a Rinpoche, and he says, you know, and all of the older monks call me Shrimpache, <laughs> because I'm, you know, I'm this little kid, and instead of calling me Rinpoche, they call me Shrimpache, and, and um, he had been, like, he was growing up in the States, and I think it was, like, Montana or somewhere, like, you know, and he was, and he, he was like, um, you know, I'm trying to have compassion and everything, but when these like white supremacists are chasing me down the road, you know, racial slurs in their pickup trucks, it's hard to maintain compassion, you know? And, and you know, they're picking up, you know, my, the Buddhists are calling me shrimp boucher and the white supremacists are trying to kick my ass. And he's like, I'm supposed to be this reincarnated llama full of compassion, but it's fucking hard. And, you know, and then it was an interview and the interviewer said, um, so, when people do come to you for advice, and these, you have all these students, you know, because they believe you're the reincarnation of their teacher. And so, what do you tell them? He says, mostly I teach them Tong Lin. He said, really, I just see myself, uh, he's like, I, I see myself as an air conditioner repair dude because we're all air conditioners. And Tong Lin is, the, is this, you know, we breathe in the hot air and we breathe out cool air. He says, so anytime somebody comes to me, whatever they're suffering about, I just, you know, talk to them like, well, are you breathing it in? And are you breathing out compassion? And are you turning towards it? And are you breathing out a wise response to what's happening? Rather than running from it, rather than avoiding it, rather than clinging to it and making an identity out of your pain, breathing it in, breathing out compassion, breathing it in. And I just always remember that, you know, this young teenage Tibetan Lama saying like, we're all just air conditioners. And that's, you know, that's what this practice is. Learn to breathe in the toxic shit and breathe out compassion to it. Learn to breathe in the pain and breathe out a wise response. I should have used that image earlier in the meditation. Michelle, go ahead.
4: Thanks, I'll try to be as clear as possible. Uh, sometimes I feel like when I do Tonglen meditation, I got to meditate after the meditation. You know, and like, maybe i'm just aversive to it but it always feels i always feel worse after i do it is that like aversion or i don't like quite get it yet
0: yeah um meditation all of it i think if have done appropriately uh, on some level and this one in particular brings all the shit to the surface You've, I think you've heard me say this before, Michelle, that I you was know, the, the, just using this um, image of uh, um, uh, air conditioner, but there's, think, think of yourself as a toilet that is clogged, that is full of shit, full of pain, full of self-centeredness, full of ego identification. Think of yourself as a clogged toilet. And when you meditate, it's, you're plunging you're plunging and the shit doesn't just go right down the tubes first it like bubbles up to the surface it's like oh and you have to smell it a little bit gets in your mouth this is disgusting but what are you going to do live with a clogged toilet your whole life until you're just shitting and it's coming out the top and it's all over the floor sorry for the graphic imagery Uh uh-huh But it's true. You know, we sit here and meditate and we've been plunging and it's like, oh man, this fucking hurts all my pain, all this shit that I've been, you know, not tending to. Uh, And and even someone like you, who's been meditating for a few years now, but still I do it and it stirs it up. It brings it to the surface. And that, um, uh, that common sort of feeling of ignorance is bliss or like, I don't want to, I want to keep turning away from this. I want to that that scene from the Matrix of like I know it's all fake, but I want to uh, believe in the you know girl in the red dress and the stake or whatever that scene is. I want to plug back in. I want to go to sleep. I don't want to feel my pain. I you know you th- there's somewhere in your practice, and I know you in particular, Michelle, know this. Um, I know I have to do this work. I know I have to feel it in order to heal it. I know I have to plunge the toilet. I know I have to breathe this stuff. Up. And it stirs me up and it, it's, it feels like it's getting a little bit worse before it gets better. But I only got one toilet, <laughs> you know, in my mind, I am the toilet and I have to either do my work and plunge it and clear the lines so that I can have, you know, good flushing bowel movements. Um, or, you know, we don't get to just be like, I'm going just going to make a new bathroom. I'm getting a new, that one's full. I'm going to the next toilet. Um, we're, we're stuck with our pain. We're stuck with our shit. And this is the kind of stuff where it's like, yep, it stirs it up. It makes it feel a little bit worse. But the reality is we're heading in the right direction when it stirs it up and it makes it feel a little bit worse. It's coming to the surface and you're meeting it with more compassion than you used to. And you're meeting it with more understanding than you used to. And eventually you'll come to the place where actually uh, there's, you know, I'm plunging the toilet and there's a couple of turds in there. It's not that bad anymore. It used to be full, it used to be a fucking overflowing outhouse of dukkha. And now, <laughs> and it's not, not so bad. Now that I've been meditating for some years and turning towards it and uh, the pipes are pretty, pretty clear. And I can really breathe out compassion, and it's actually become soothing. You've heard me talk about this, uh, Michelle, um, that my experience was much like hers, where for the first couple of years of doing the loving kindness, the compassion, the forgiveness practices, I too felt like more uh, uneasy, more, uh, you know, triggered, more. Uh, um, you know flooded with the stuff it took it took me years of persevering before I started to feel like oh I can say this and mean it and feel it and uh, have some relief so it's a it's a long-term process so the um you know the not very satisfactory encouragement is to persevere, keep going, even though it stirs you up a little bit, and then also find some things. Um, you know, when you have done a sitting meditation and have become a, a bit, um, you know, reactive to it, uh, maybe do some walking meditation. Maybe you know, uh, do something else that will kind of help you settle into it. Do what you, you know, without going to the unhealthy avoidance techniques to find something healthy maybe some exercise maybe a walk um, maybe a conversation with somebody to process it um, but to continue with the practices in my sense is that helpful enough
4: super thanks i'm a toilet right on you're a toilet
0: <laughs> you're a
4: toilet one
0: time i was giving a talk about um how we're all fire extinguishers and they were extinguishing. and then somebody came and they had a tattoo Tattoo of a fire extinguisher with three jewels on it. I'm just waiting for someone to come with a tattoo of a toilet. Like, I got the Dharma. I got this toilet tattoo. (laughs) Tibby, go ahead.
4: Um, It's weird. I have so much aversion, but I love this meditation. Maybe because the compassion makes me feel like I can do something. But um i've heard you do it a few times like a really key moments it's really been like I, there was a political moment that everyone was really fucked up over and it just blew me away but what really changed it tonight was that's helpful that i'll take to practice again is the identifying what is a particular thing i'm suffering about so that it wasn't abstract black smoke. It was that thing I'm really suffering about. And then that helped me as it gets further and further. Oh, this good friend of mine, I know what she's really suffering about. And like it went to like Ukraine, right? And instead of um, it became a muscle, right? So that when I saw what was going on in Ukraine, I could force myself to say things I didn't want to see. Um, So it's really powerful. Like it's a power, I want to do this for a couple of weeks, like the loving kindness thing Mm -hmm. to help with that, um, to help with that aversion thing. And like what you, it's a great essay about triggering and we're losing our capacity. Anyway, thank you. That was a good teaching for me to learn.
0: Thank you. I'm glad it was landing well. Nikita, go ahead.
1: Thank you, Noah. First, I want, to, I want to
3: thank you for your attention because you put it in such um, real, very sort of, you normalize, you know, hysterically fucked up things. Um, <clears throat> and when I was doing my KDAC, it's I mean, this totally makes sense. I have a toilet and I love it, Michelle and the other lady said but. <laughs> The thing, but the thing is that, like, when when you're becoming a therapist and all that, and I think you know this, they ask you what's the one thing you cannot would not, and for me, it's somebody who's like like a real serial killer or a person that's child molester killer. That, I mean, I I feel like if I ever was experienced somebody or if I was you know somewhere with this person, I would flip out. I I mean, you know, and so I am meditating on that specifically. Like how can I how can I meet this ugliness with compassion? And I've been doing the thing since New Year's where you turn it around instead of doing 20 minutes a day or twice a day, I'm trying to do it all day long. And for 20 minutes twice a day, I'm worrying. Mm-hmm. But anyway, thank you.
0: Yeah, the one could you everybody mostly here? Can you mostly hear in the back? Um, the one thing that I'll say about that, I don't think I, I said it a little bit tonight, but I try to remember to encourage us not to use these practices um, to try to do something that we can't do yet. You know, and it's, there's just something so merciless and unkind about our minds when we say like forgiveness and we immediately think about all of the people we can't forgive yet. Or, or who we think are unforgivable. We, we just go right to, you know, like, well, I, I can't breathe in the, the suffering of a mass murderer or a child molester, or, you know, fucking Hitler or whoever it is. And our mind just like goes right to why I can't do it or what aspect of this I can't do. Um, so I try to remember, and I encourage you Nikita and the rest of us to start with uh, ourselves, start with each other. Start with people that you can develop compassion towards and set aside Hitler and all of the Hitlers in the world and all of the set that aside for now. You don't need to be like, well, I'm going to I'm breathing in Hitler's, you know, suffering. He was, you know, he's an artist, man. Um, Just like really sticking with the people that we can have compassion for and then working our way up. Working our way up, working our way up. And maybe you set that aside. Maybe, maybe we'll come to the place where we can have compassion for the most deranged, abusive, you know, confused people in on the planet. Uh, and maybe we won't, but don't start there. Start with like who can you develop it for? Develop it here in the one of the, you know, the sangha and your family and your, you know, and maybe there's those people in your family that are like, I can't. Like they were just too abusive. They were too neglectful. It's okay, set them aside. Work with the friends who are kind to you. <laughs> work with the people who, just like you, um, have suffering and you can empathize with it. So work your way up slowly. Was there a hand in the room? Yeah. yeah. Um,
4: <clears throat> so I think everything is my fault and, uh, <laughs> and karma keeps coming into my mind and distinguishing what is my karma and what is Justifiable suffering. I tend to think I created all of it myself in my own
0: clumsiness or whatever. Um, can you speak about karma? I'm a big fan, as I started tonight, of um, you know taking the blame and shame out of you know this human condition. Um, What isn't your fault is the repetitive craving that you've been experiencing your whole life. Um, What isn't your fault is the pain you experienced as a child that fueled that repetitive craving until, you know, it became alcoholism and the other stuff that we've experienced. And so, um, and we do have karma and we are responsible for not um practicing more renunciation and you know following through on the healthy practices the recovery the meditation and you know and so there is there's a healthy place if you can because some of you know like some of it is our fault you know and we are responsible for our own happiness and we have neglected the practices that will lead us to happiness we're we're born into this situation that's just not your fault but how we respond is our responsibility and i i tend to feel like you know when you know what's that i think it's maya angelo kind of when you know better do better and like each of us kind of being like well uh i've known better for a while but i kept fucking up even though i knew better I didn't follow through when I was introduced to recovery or to meditation or to therapy or whatever the healing modalities were. Uh, And I do have some, um, there is a piece of it that is my fault. I'm responsible. Now, often because of our conditioning, we turn that into shame. I'm, it's my fault, you know, rather than a discernment. A discernment would say, like, I've been really unskillful and neglectful. And, you know, I haven't been very wise in how I've shown up in so many areas of my life. And a healthy sense of regret, even guilt. Uh, Like, I've actually been unskillful and I feel guilty about how I've harmed myself, how I've harmed others. I regret it. That's wise. Shame says, because I've been unskillful, neglectful, unwise, I'm a bad person. Right. And that sort of blame. And I'm, you know, unworthy. And, uh, you know, I'm a piece of shit. I, I am the toilet. I'm not the toilet. I'm the shit in the toilet, you know, that everyone, you know, thinking about all of the time, me, the shit in the toilet. Um, so there's a place for regret, a healthy place for regret. There is a, um, a place for really, you know, taking that personal responsibility and being like, yep, I've created a lot of unnecessary suffering in my life. And then, after acknowledging, rather than wallowing in it, using it as an excuse to, you know, beat ourselves up, you know, just that healthy, like, yep, that's true. I've created a lot of suffering, unnecessary suffering in my life and in the life of others. And I'm done. And I'm committed to living an ethical life, a sober life, a, a kind life, a generous life. I'm committed to not doing that shit anymore, I regret that, but I'm not going to let my regret keep me in that cycle. I'm going to let my regret fuel my practice and my recovery and my healing while still having that, you know, forgiveness, and yes, I have the karma of that, and now it's time to purify that karma, and it's time to respond differently to my mind and to my pain, breathing it in, breathing out the compassion. So I know I go pretty hard on like, it's not your fault, but you know, a lot of it is our fault. The core underlying conditions of the human condition of craving and aversion and so not our fault. But at some point we have to take responsibility and say, I'm not going to keep doing this shit. I'm not going to keep clinging and wondering why I'm suffering satisfying my cravings and wondering why I'm strung out again, you know, following my rage and wondering why I'm angry. You know, I'm going to defy this human condition. I'm going to go against the stream. Well, I don't know if that's helpful, but Greg, go ahead. Um, So, This is actually my first time ever meditating and that got really intense. Yeah. And um, I like to throw people (laughs) in the deep end. It was. So it was, uh, but once I, we expanded and kind of focused on other people, uh, and their suffering loved ones that, so I was focusing on some very specific things, the real, the stuff that's bothering me now. I I don't know if I want to focus just more general, just on like kind of just the suffering and life period or just those main things. But once we branched out, then I, you know I got a lot, a little more mellow, a little more relaxed. But now that we're done, my heart rate's back up, and uh, it was pretty intense. So, uh, what what do you suggest? Uh, like when we're done here, just maybe a little bit of just silence and 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 breathing, and just trying to focus on nothing. You know, um, one of the companion practices that we have in in to sitting meditation is walking meditation. And this doesn't work for everyone, but it's, it's often quite useful to just start doing some back and forth walking and kind of get out of your head with the stories that have been stirred up with the Tonglen and just come into the footsteps and just say left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. And then turn around and come back. Maybe you're going to walk around the block. Maybe you'll just if you're. I don't know where you are, but in your yard or wherever you can, just walking back and forth, doing walking meditation, right, left. It'll help you get out of the stories. It'll help you feel uh, what's there to help process it through. There's also something, um, years ago, Jason and I um, were being trained for EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing, which is a psychotherapy technique to help us um, process traumatic experiences. And the core idea with EMDR is that bilateral attention will help shift traumatic memories and uh, into normal memories from triggers to uh, normal sort of painful memories. So when we do walking meditation, we're doing something very similar. Bilateral attention, right, left, right, left. So I said this to Michelle earlier. My sense is when you're stirred up after a meditation, do walking practice. Do it for at least five or 10 minutes you know, and maybe longer, right, left, right, left. It will likely, not for sure. I can't guarantee anything, but it will likely, or at least has the potential to help you process that pain that has been stirred up, that overflowing toilet of shit. Uh, it'll help you process it a bit, right, left, right, left. And it, I think it, it seems to do something to the brainstem, um or the amygdala where we hold those traumatic memories and and feel that increased heart rate and that triggering Um, so i i encourage you to try that tonight you know another thing that i'll say to you is um if i knew it was your first you know if i the thing about teaching you know a group of people when i teach this class every week and i've been teaching this class every week for years and years is that i just throw out you know something that uh you know whatever's on my mind and there's all of these different practices but if I knew it was your first like if it was the a beginner's class and everybody was new I wouldn't start with tongue
2: <laughs>
0: I'd start with mindfulness so if it's your first time meditating I'd really encourage you come back to some simple mindfulness on my uh, podcasts, there's mindfulness meditation instructions, go listen to those, do some walking practice, start, uh, you know, rather than in the deep end with the foundational practices of breath awareness, body awareness, um, rather than going right into digging up the traumas of your life because you're brand new and you're, um, you know, give yourself some time to work up to that. It is where we're going. It is necessary part of the path. But uh, you don't need to start there. But then again, Shrimpushe would say, "Yep, that's the core practice:
2: <laughs>
0: breathe it in and learn to breathe it out. Start in the deep end." So, anyways, I hope those, that's helpful advice.
1: So maybe I'll just have a couple reflections before we end.
0: My sense is that um, uh, compassion is not a decision that we can make. And even breathing out, saying compassion. Don't really feel it in the beginning. My experience was. Um, We have to start by just learning uh, some tolerance for pain. Just learning to be uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. And then over the months and years of learning to be uncomfortable and to breathe it in and be like, I don't have much compassion, but I'm tolerating it. I'm sitting here, my knees hurt, or my back aches, my mind is loud, whatever's happening, tolerating it. And then you'll find that there's some place between I hate it to I'm tolerating it and um, a, a place of mercy where we can start to have some uh, mercy. The definition is not making it worse. And this is the, the real equation that Buddhism is teaching us. There's pain, and then there's resistance and judgment and fear of pain, which makes it worse. It's merciful at some point. To, and, but mercy is not compassion. I mean, maybe they're connected a little bit. But mercy doesn't necessarily um, have a, even a friendliness to it. It's just a... a forbearance. It's just that I'm not going to make it worse. I don't love it. I don't care about it. I don't have compassion for it, but I'm going to not make it worse. I have the power to cause myself so much harm by hating what's happening. And I'm going to learn to just tolerate it rather than hate it. I don't care about it yet. Compassion's way over here. This, you know, from aversion to compassion is a process that we have to go through. It's developmental for most people over years of meditation, maybe even decades. But you're moving the needle every time you do the practice. Every time you sit, you're moving the needle and you'll become more tolerant and more merciful and more compassionate. And probably uh, if you're a slow learner like me, it's going to take many years to actually start to feel compassion towards pain. There was a hand in the back. You can ask it if you
3: want. <clears throat> I was just going to say, when I was trying to breathe in suffering, I was resisting so much because I felt the tightness. That. That's my thing that I struggle with the most. It's like the scary. I start real, real, start turning. So that's like, and I found myself stopping to breathe the inhale.
0: How about when you're breathing out? Okay. Yeah. And are you pra- pretty new to this practice? Yeah. So, like, like I was saying before, like, start with mindfulness of the breath, and you know, just doing mindfulness of the breath. Some of that shit's going to come up, anyways. And this practice will help, oh, come back and breathe out compassion to it. It'll, it'll help. But just come back to a simple breath body awareness practice, and then we'll reintroduce you to this practice later. And there's that humility of like, yeah, just too tight. I can't do it yet. I can get like half a breath and, you know, and then it's too tight. But the out breath, you know, that breathing out or like James asked earlier, maybe for you just breathing out compassion to that scared, tight, you know, experience in the beginning. That's all the time we have for tonight. Um, Laura, if you want to hang out afterwards, happy to talk to you for a minute, but I'm going to end class here um next week i'm out of town i'm teaching a thanks for almost everybody showing up early the first class at seven o'clock showing up on time um it's totally okay if you forgot and you showed up a little bit late um i'm teaching on the east coast next week uh doing a refuge meeting in plymouth uh, massachusetts on saturday night that's open to everybody if anybody wants to come it's on my instagram page the address Uh, and then we have a six-day retreat in upstate new york so jeff camozzi let's see where's jeff camozzi let's see if we can um, did that work oh it didn't work didn't work over here what if i go like this there he is. So Jeff Komosa, you guys are on the big screen now. Uh, who's a meditation teacher who's trained with me and teaches a weekly group up in San Francisco is going to come down and he's going to sub the class for me. Uh, and his wife Emily are going they're going to be here next Monday. So come and you know Jeff's been uh, Jeff and Emily have been uh, being the sort of host for the Zoom and assist me all of the time and. Uh, he's a great meditation teacher. So come to class next Monday and see Jeff and practice with, with each other. Um, and I'll, I'll be back the following week. Okay, welcome. Um, we have some new hats. I just got a shipment of some hats. So if you want to buy a hat, Sebastian will be at the desk there. If you want, oh, to- you him. yeah, we got them. <laughs>
2: wow. Yeah.
0: And. Um, class is done by donation. Please be as generous as you can be. We have um, many expenses here uh, to pay the rent and the employees and the utility bills. So we suggest a 20 to $25 donation for a drop-in class. If you can afford that, please give it. Uh, If you can't afford that, give whatever you can. Give what feels appropriate to you everyone's welcome regardless of ability to donate but in order for us to continue to exist as a nonprofit, donation-based meditation group it takes everybody's generosity to keep this thing going so thank you in advance for your generosity and um, see you in a couple weeks when I get back may any goodness that comes from our practice be shared outward in all directions as we breathe in the suffering of the world and we plunge the toilets of our hearts <laughs> Thanks for tuning into the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.